Tango Delta, touchdown confirmed. Welcome to Mars, Percy. You're listening to Are We There Yet? The radio show exploring space exploration. Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. After a seven-month journey hundreds of millions of miles through our solar system, NASA's Perseverance rover safely landed on the surface of Mars. Touchdown confirmed. Perseverance safely on the surface of Mars, ready to begin seeking the sands of past life. The dune buggy-sized rover was dropped off in Jezero Crater using a supersonic parachute and a rocket-powered hover crane, and all of that harrowing maneuver was captured on video. Since landing, Percy has beamed back incredible images from the surface, bringing us to its rust-colored, desolate home on the Red Planet. Percy also sent back the first sounds of Mars, captured by a dedicated microphone bolted to the rover. Now the science campaign begins. Percy's on the hunt for ancient signs of life on the Red Planet. We'll talk with author and journalist Nicholas Booth about the long road to astrobiology on Mars and University of Florida's Dr. Amy Williams, a participating scientist on the mission, about the hunt for evidence of light outside our planet. Percy's science campaign, that's ahead on Are We There Yet? on WMFE, America's space station. After an incredible landing on Mars, it's time for Percy to get to work. The rover is on the hunt for evidence of ancient life in its new home, Jezero Crater, once a water-filled lake and river delta. The rover will also collect and cache samples from the surface to be returned to Earth in the 2030s. To talk more about Percy's mission, we're joined once again by Nicholas Booth. He's a journalist and co-author of the book The Search for Life on Mars, the greatest scientific detective story of all time. Nicholas, thanks for speaking with us. My pleasure. Well, Nick, take us back to mission control last week this is a story you've been following for such a long time what was your reaction knowing that percy had arrived safe on the planet you know you get to a certain age because i'm in my 50s i've been through so many mars landings and you think it would get easier and it doesn't it, every time now even though they did this eight years ago with perseverance and they learned from that obviously uh it was still flying by the seat of your pants now that's as somebody in a foreign country watching what the people in the trenches went through you know socially distancing and going through is, is incredible but it was it was just amazing that you know and it landed and now we've got the, the the whole sequence of the full hd movie which is absolutely fantastic i mean i've been waiting for this for many many years talk to me a little bit about the landing um experience for perseverance this time as opposed to following along with other missions it came in quicker it came in faster and it also had this advantage that in the last so the last time they did this in 2012 that was a leap in the dark this was still a leap with a little bit more light on what happened last time the, the problem is the atmosphere of mars is very very difficult to predict it brings you the worst possible things that you need there's not quite enough atmosphere to use a big parachute all the way down and it, the atmosphere balloons out and down and upwards and, and there's these sort of air currents that you can't predict so this has to be done in real time so the computer technology has increased in the last eight years and what that means is they've used this new system that they were able to called autonomous control or the, another version of it's called range trigger they needed to pop the parachute at exactly the right spot that they needed to do it and they did pretty well they've come in they announced at the 
last weekend that they came in uh, about it said 1.7 kilometers which is a mile from where they were aiming for and it was within a region where there's yeah there's always hazards but this time around they've avoided those and they've landed straight slap bang in the middle where they want to be so the thing that they said they were going to do as always with jpl they've managed to do it there have been other mars rovers in the past what what makes this one uh super interesting each of them each of the rovers has taught them something it's basically how to use a rover and now finally for the first time in 40 years they are looking for life or rather the signs of life the precursors to life and these things which we'll be hearing a lot more uh biosignatures so although it so although perseverance looks like curiosity it's not a rerun um there's no chemical oven there's no massive box that they can actually analyze stuff inside this time all the business is on the end of uh, of a robotic arm that will fire x-rays will fire lasers and will t- in so the previous mission gave them what they call the bulk sample you take a sample you crush it up and it tells you somewhere within this that you this sample you there are these different chemical elements this time around they can it's it's almost zooming in on the microscopic level to be able to say okay from the other cameras there are 23 on board uh they zoom in they see something they think wow that looks really quite interesting it's got the geological context of it could have been where water flowed it could be something like a thermal vent in the ancient past and they can say okay let's let's you know get up close and personal and whap and they they zap it with all these instruments and that at this microscopic level will give them um what they hope will be the clues can they actually find the material that they think is the precursor to life and in some cases might even be a signature of it can we take a step back like how do scientists know that there could be this evidence there what what were kind of the precursory evidence you know yeah, the, exactly why, we said why have they landed here and, no, and no, nowhere else yeah. well one of the th- main things is if you, you asked about the previous rover missions um the strategy was always follow the water let's see where water had flowed in the ancient past and they've now felt there's plenty of evidence in all the different landing sites before that there was water there but there's no water on mars now the atmosphere is very very thin it's utterly desiccated and it's freezing so you're looking to go back in time so in 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 a very real sense perseverance is a time machine what it's doing is it's going back in time to look for conditions where water flowed across the surface um where there might have been hydrothermal vents and there'd be this kind of think of something like you know utah or yellowstone something like that for the first time ever they've landed in a region that from orbit they can actually see carbonates now what that means is you've got a carbon dioxide atmosphere you put water in it you produce seltzer so there should be signs of carbonates on the surface it's it's the mineral form um They've landed, and the main thing will be to move towards where they think this is. It's probably about a couple of miles away. Uh, it's the edge of the delta where water has flowed in the past. And, and it's one of the few places on Mars they've actually seen carbonates from from orbit, which is quite significant. The, the problem is there should be more, but they're probably covered in dust because dust gets everywhere. So within the next six months, they'll zoom up towards, the, they'll shoot off towards that region and start looking. Um, what they're looking for within the, the soils um, and the rocks themselves are a different form of carbon, the organic carbon, and thereby hangs another story. Now, it is quite complicated, but previous missions 
never found any organics if you don't have organics the problem is you can't really create life as we know it you need those long chains of carbon as the kind of biochemical backbone to form life in recent years the curiosity rover has found ancient organics and now they're thinking okay we know there are organics there but that still doesn't you know that still isn't a slam dunk the next part of that equation is are those organics uh, part of the surface of something that's happened there or have they been brought in by meteorites well jazeera crater itself is a giant bullseye uh four billion four and a half billion years ago something slammed into the surface gouged this crater so there could be stuff within that that could have come elsewhere from space so it's a this is why we called our book a detective story if you think of this as an episode of csi red planet it gives you the, <laughs> the absolute flavor of what they're trying to do you ask what are the scientists going to do they're going to eliminate um, the impossible and what you're left with is likely and I use that because it's a quote from Sherlock Holmes and the instrument that will fire the laser and do all this fancy stuff is called Sherlock uh, it's a contrived acronym that I can never quite get right but <laughs> it's it, yeah, it's what Sherlock Holmes did that's what these guys in, in California all over the country and overseas will be doing we look to make sure that they, they've, they're finding something that's indigenous to Mars and they've also taken with them uh, or rather the rover has a sample of mars that came to earth so it's the first time um you don't they haven't sent a postcard they've actually given a little piece of rock and sent it back hmm. because what they can do is at the natural history museum in london where it came from originally they can do the same test so in other words if they get a result on mars and they're not quite sure is that, you know, as something misaligned, is that absolutely correct? They can do the same experiment in a lab uh, on Earth and they, they, they know actually what they're seeing on Mars is correct because they've got that same piece of rock on Mars with them. It's almost the ultimate ground truth. It's a, it's a fantastic, you know, what I did on my holidays, the, says the Mars rock that's gone back. <laughs> now, Nicholas, you, you've been covering space for quite some time. Uncovering ancient evidence of life on Mars would be groundbreaking in science and i can just imagine you know the excitement from the general public on this i mean how could this change our understanding of of mars and how we think about the planet if percy is successful in finding this evidence yeah what i should say uh talking of ancient fossilized remains that's me i'm in my 50s <laughs> uh we've been here many many times before uh when i was reported 25 years ago there was a, a meteorite that a group at the Johnson Space Center were convinced there were there was evidence of ancient fossils. The jury's still out on that. Uh, when Viking landed in the 70s, one of the experiments basically tested positive. The, here's the problem. Before you stand up and say it's life, you've got to make sure that, you know, you, that you've got everything right. And there's, there'll be enough naysayers in the scientific community will say, well, have you thought about this possibility? Um, I'm not one for ethics or for pontificating, but it's obvious to me that if we discover life on Mars, here's why it's significant. It takes us from being a miracle to a universal statistic, uh, initially of two, which, you know, but that then implies the rest of the universe will it will be teeming with life. But, you know, until that moment is discovered, all the evidence is there that all the understanding of how life forms, the conditions on ancient Mars were there. And therefore, you know, if you find life on Mars, it sort of confirms that 
life as there might be life elsewhere in space. But as I say, I think before anybody stands up and actually says that, mindful of what's happened before, I also think we'll get hints of it this time around from social media. Mm-hmm. So, you know, five years ago with the gravitational waves discovery, somebody tweeted a picture of a cake that they were going to take to the press conference. Mm -hmm. So five hours before the press conference, a cake appeared on Twitter and people found out. Mm -hmm. And that to me is the interesting thing. The space missions when I was a lad, when I used to write to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and about four months later, a packet of pictures would arrive. Now, 21 million people follow the JPL Twitter accounts. That's, That's... three or four small countries. Um, So it will be exciting. And yeah, I do think when it happens, will we get any hint of it? I suspect so. But before they stand up and say unequivocally, here it is, here's the moment we've all watched in all those films, they're going to have to make sure that they they bottom it out completely. But, you know, I I am convinced that sometime this century that will happen. I think that the people we talk to for our book are all convinced that if it's there, they'll find it. Now, when that will be, you know, I, I could make a lot of money by placing a bet, but I'm, I'm not sure. We've been speaking with Nicholas Booth. He's a journalist and author. His latest book is co-written with Elizabeth Howe, is The Search for Life on Mars, the greatest scientific detective story of all times. Nicholas, thank you so much for speaking with us. My pleasure. Still to come, The Search for Life on Mars. Understanding our place in the universe, whether we truly are alone, whether life is extraordinarily rare or whether it is ubiquitous in the universe, is one of the most compelling questions I can think of in science. Are We There Yet is back in a minute. You're listening to Are We There Yet? here on WMFE, America's space station. I'm Brendan Byrne. NASA's Perseverance rover seeks to help scientists answer the ultimate question, are we alone in the universe? To do that, it's got a suite of instruments that will drill, analyze, and zap samples of rocks and dirt on the surface, and a fleet of scientists back here on Earth to analyze that data. To talk more about the search for evidence of past life on Mars, we're joined by Dr. Amy Williams. She's a professor of geology at the University of Florida and one of those participating scientists on NASA's Perseverance mission. Dr. Williams, thanks for speaking with us. Thank you so much for inviting me, Brendan. It's wonderful to join you. So your your science proposal, Dr. Williams, is to search for ancient signs of life on Mars. How are you going to do that? That's a wonderful question. And Certainly a really, uh, you know, striking title that I I assigned to my proposal. So the Perseverance mission is really unique in that it enables this kind of science to occur. The goals of the Perseverance mission are to search for habitable environments in our landing site, which is Jezero Crater. And a habitable environment is one in which life would want to live if it were there. And that can be in the past or that can be in the present. Once we characterize those habitable environments, we look for materials, geologic materials that have a high preservation potential for what we call biosignatures. That's evidence of life, even if the life is now gone. And then the third goal is to then search for those signs of ancient life. And so this is uh, one of the most compelling, exciting missions that we've sent to Mars 
And one of my goals is to to feed into that third objective, to search for evidence of past life on Mars. And I can do that using a suite of instruments on the Perseverance rover. I can look for organic matter on the surface and sort of in the near subsurface of Mars. And organic matter is really important because um, you and I, every living thing on, on Earth as we know it, is made of organic carbon. And so the search for organic carbon on Mars can tell us about life that could have been there, but it can also tell us about kind of the the organic carbon load from the solar system. So organic carbon can be made without life having anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. And so there are patterns in um, the data that we look for to tell us whether we're looking at biologically made carbon or abiotic, you know, solar system carbon. And so that's one of the big goals of my research program is to understand that organic carbon on Mars. You mentioned that Perseverance will be working in Jezero Crater. Um, why is this such an interesting place on Mars to be conducting this kind of research? So Jezero Crater is, uh, contains a beautiful example of what we call a delta. So a delta is a, a geologic, geomorphologic feature that tells us that there was a river flowing into a lake on Mars in its ancient past. And so on Earth, these types of deposits are really good for preserving organic matter and biosignatures, those signs of life. And so there is this beautiful delta preserved in Jezero Crater that we are going to be able to explore kind of from the crater floor going up into the, the lower bottom sets of this delta structure. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, from terrestrial canon, know that organic matter should be preserved down there in those kind of the, the toe of the delta. And so that's what we're interested in exploring for a variety of reasons, one of which, of course, most compelling to me is the search for organic matter. How are you drawing on previous missions to Mars and and the research collected from from those rovers um, as you embark on this next investigation? That's a really excellent question. So both uh, the Perseverance mission and sort of my personal career trajectory are based on, you know, standing on the the shoulders of giants and and learning from these past missions. Mm -hmm. So just to set the stage for the missions, the Mars Exploration Rover, Spirit and Opportunity, went to Mars to look for uh, evidence of uh, water. So we said, follow the water with those missions. Then the Curiosity Rover um, went, you know, almost a decade later, looking for carbons. We said, let's follow the carbon and look for sources of organic carbon. So now we are at the stage with Perseverance where we've built on these platforms and we're now ready to search for evidence of past life on Mars. So the lessons learned from operating, especially the Curiosity rover, this long-standing mission that has really revolutionized our understanding of Mars, has uh, enabled us to develop a really great mission architecture for perseverance and how we conduct our um, science campaigns and our sampling and how we operate as a team. We have really excellent lessons learned from Curiosity. And I personally am also a member of the Curiosity Rover Science Team. And so I've had the opportunity to work with multiple instrument teams to serve on um, missions, you know, daily operation roles. So I've had the opportunity to kind of see it from the ground up. And I'm 
hoping to bring that experience to uh, Perseverance's operations, being able to um, make an argument that, you know, perhaps this really interesting outcrop that we see is a great place to search for these biosignatures, to to look at the makeup of these rocks, and to better understand how this delta was formed and what it may preserve. So there's there's this progression, right? We're, we're you know, scientists are looking for signs of water, then signs of carbon, then signs of these organic materials. Why is it so important that scientists uncover um, signs of life on Mars? Why is this such an important facet of understanding Mars and our solar system? Understanding our place in the universe, whether we truly are alone, whether life is extraordinarily rare, or whether it is ubiquitous in the universe, is one of the most compelling questions I can think of in science. And so understanding why Mars either does or does not have life, native life to Mars, is really important for us to understand, you know, if Mars does not have life, why does it not have life? Did it have it in the past and it went extinct? Both Earth and Mars had very similar conditions early on, and then they really bifurcated in their evolution. So our understanding of both how life uh, evolves on planets and how it is able to to get a, a foothold and hang around that can be really greatly informed by how Mars evolved versus how uh, Earth evolved. And, you know, of course, in that broader realm of understanding our place in the universe, it's so important for us to understand is, is life in the universe this really extraordinary, rare thing? Are we really small and insignificant and precious as humans, um, as, as life on Earth and all the organisms that go with that? Or are we pretty run-of-the-mill and there are organisms on planets, um, maybe even in our solar system, we're looking at Mars, we're looking into our outer planets and their moons, Enceladus, Europa. Um, So all of these questions are so compelling to, to me and I feel to a broad swath of the scientific community to understand our place in the universe. How is this research that you're conducting on Perseverance and and your previous research on Curiosity, how can this be applied to uh, the search for life outside of our solar system as we're looking at these exoplanets? Is there a way to kind of apply what you've learned from this in the search elsewhere? Absolutely. So um, just like with the different stages of rovers going to Mars and us learning from each of those experiences, we're able to use sort of the the ground truths that we get from um, our exploration of planets, uh, you know, closer to us in our solar system to explore what planets outside our solar system um, may have the conditions necessary for life as we know it. So as we characterize planets based on their atmospheres, we look at the um, spectroscopy of their atmospheres and understand what are they made up of. Mm-hmm. And then we can link that to the geology that we are able to explore with in situ exploration. So rovers and landers and orbiters, um, we can use that information to guide our search for um, extrasolar planets and potentially life on those extrasolar planets. So this is just sort of the first stage in that exploration as we learn to link 
whether we, we think we have habitable environments on these other worlds, with what we see in their atmospheres, which is one of the only things we're able to see right now with our extrasolar planets. So we are in that stage of, of learning how to make these conclusions and preparing ourselves to develop the technology to further explore these extrasolar planets. And, and how confident are you that you might find that evidence um, close to home, like like on Mars, through through this investigation um, or, or elsewhere in the universe? So that is a, a really interesting question because as an astrobiologist, you know, my, my passion, my whole career is about searching for life beyond Earth and understanding the conditions that are conducive to it. And I feel that if, if life were ubiquitous, at least in our solar system, we may have potentially already encountered it. So because we have not definitively encountered it, um, that that leads me down the path of perhaps life is either, um, you know, much more rare or it is in a location that is very difficult for us to currently access with our, our, our technologies. So potentially in the subsurface of Mars or under the icy shell of uh, Enceladus or, or mm-hmm. Europa um, in those oceans. So perhaps it is just a, an issue of continuing to develop our technology to access those those environments as opposed to potentially the life is not there at all. And finally, Dr. Williams, we talked, this isn't your first Mars mission. Um, I I would like to ask you, what is it like working on a mission uh, that is happening on the red planet? I read somewhere that you actually change your clocks to Martian time. (laughs) Can you explain how this, how this works and how that affects your work day? Absolutely. So yes, so um, for the past several landed missions to Mars, we have been operating on Mars time for approximately the first three months of operations. Um, So Mars time, a Martian day, is 24 hours and 37 minutes long. And so even if you start your Martian day the same time everyone else, you know, starts their day 9am, the next day you're going to start around 940 and then 10, 20. And so you're going to start progressing forward in your schedule while the rest of the world stays on their standard schedule um, until you get to the point that you are getting up at you know 11 p.m. and making your coffee and uh, <laughs> getting a bagel and getting ready to go to work. Um, so I know a lot of people work, you know, the graveyard shift, work third shift, and this is maybe standard for them. The real challenge for me had been when I did this with the Curiosity mission, stepping forward every day. So there's not that consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mars time can be very challenging um, from a emotional, mental and physical state. And it's also this incredible opportunity to work real time with the rover, with the mission and work with your colleagues in this really kind of bonding, extraordinary experience that you're not going to get anywhere else. Well, looking very forward to the the data you get and, and the research that comes from this mission. Uh, we've been speaking with Dr. Amy Williams. She's an assistant professor of geology at the University of Florida and a participating scientist on the Mars Perseverance mission. Uh, Dr. Williams, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you, Brennan. Well, that's going to do it for this week's show. Stay up to date with all of these missions on our website. Visit WMFE.org slash space. You can also stay connected online. We're on Twitter and Instagram, A-W-T-Y space, or on Facebook. Search for Are We There Yet? Podcast, or shoot me an email, yet at WMFE.org. And if you're not already, be sure to subscribe to the show's podcast feed and never miss an episode. You can do that on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are We There Yet? is a production of WMFE, America's Space Station. 
Editorial guidance this week from Matthew Petty. Our intern is Kirk Churchill. And our director of content is Steve Yasko. Support for Are We There Yet comes from our listeners. Until next week, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening.